Hello, and welcome to the Dangerous Creatives Podcast. We're ready to dive into the deep end of running a creative business, the joys, the sorrows, and the shit no one wants to talk about. I'm your host, Kristen Sweeting, a traveling wedding photographer and coach for creative business owners who scaled two businesses while single parenting, so I know it doesn't always go as planned. Hold on to your seats as we explore what wholeness looks like within your creative journey and how growth doesn't always come in the ways we expect. Well, hey, and welcome back to the Dangerous Creatives Podcast. I'm so excited to have my friend Yulia here with me and to talk about her life as a photographer. Yulia, thanks for being here. If you don't mind giving yourself a little intro and we'll just dive in. Sounds good, Kristen. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here and chat with you about what we're both passionate about. So that's really awesome. Hi, everyone. My name is uh, Yulia Denisiuk. I'm a uh, travel photographer and writer, a community builder, an entrepreneur, an educator, someone who really believes in the power of travel, but also in the power of communities and connecting with like-minded people. Uh, I'm also a podcaster, so lots of lots of things to connect on with Kristen, and I'm excited to be here today. So thank you. So amazing. Yeah, we have so many things in common and a lot of things that we love. And I'm excited for us to touch on all of those things today. But I want to start with your work as a photographer, because you've had such a cool career. It's so fun watching the projects you get to do as you're traveling, working for different magazines, different publications. Can you tell us a little bit about your journey and your work as a photographer and maybe some of the cool things that have come doing the work that you're doing? Sure. So I've always loved uh, photography. Um, I got my first camera, like a click point and shoot when I was 10 years old. And, you know, as, as long as I remember myself, I, will, I was always drawn to taking pictures. But for most of my 20s and early 30s, I never believed or thought that that could be, you know, a viable career for me. And I really just followed a more traditional path. I was an immigrant here in the States. And for immigrants, there's a lot of pressure to really succeed in the most traditional sense of the world word you know so I did that I I got a job uh, in corporate and I was basically set for life so to speak but I was very miserable inside and very unhappy and I hated my job so there came a point where I realized that something needed to change and that's when six years ago I basically pivoted and I quit my job and I said I'm just going to become a travel photographer and writer because that's what I really want to do (laughs) Just like that, just like, I'm going to do it. Here we go. Let's quit this thing. <laughs> Not just like that. No, it, uh, it was during a really hard year for me, 2015, uh, where I actually moved to New York, to Manhattan, uh, because that's where my, my new job was. And the job was so crazy and so demanding. I basically worked from eight in the morning to 11 o'clock at night. I worked on weekends too. I cried every night when I came home from work and my body started giving out like, I started having back issues, like my body was physically telling me this is not right for you. You know, so that's when I reached a point just where it's like, okay, no, you cannot go on like this. And yeah, then I just sort of uh, made made the jump. And to be honest, I was really naive. I was extremely naive. I, I sort of followed that philosophy jump. And how, how does it say step and the path will appear? Yeah, so to yeah. speak, which it's it definitely the path appeared but it appeared so much later than I would think it took so much longer to get established in the space it took so much longer to be in a place where I I am now working with National Geographic you know I gave myself six months to succeed in this in this space and it took much 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 longer than that so many people have lifelong dreams of being in National Geographic and never get there. So even the fact that you did, even though it might've been longer than you expected is, is amazing. And would love to hear more about, about that journey from the quitting to the dreams. Yeah. So, you know, when I, when I quit my job, I went on a six month trip around the world and that's where that six months came in because I'm like, I'm going to travel for six months. And at the same time, try to figure out how to start working with these publications And the very first pitch that I sent was actually to National Geographic. And guess what happened with that pitch? (laughs) They said no, right? The first one is always a no. (laughs) I never even heard back from them. It sort of went into the black hole and that's, you know, never heard back from them. 
So the key, the key that I would say to, to people is that you need to be really persistent and you need to be really patient. And you also need to start small, way smaller than National Geographic, because the, the number one question that people always ask me is, how do I work with National Geographic? How do I get published in National Geographic? And you will get there, but you need a portfolio first. You absolutely need a portfolio first, you know? And I think that's a mistake that many people do, and myself included. I, I you know, I, I approached them right away because that was the dream. But you really need to start small and start building your portfolio step by step until you build up to a level where you can approach National Geographic. And by the way, you will have a much better understanding of how the industry works what your niche is, what kind of work do you do? How can it fit with what National Geographic does? You know, and that's really key, understanding how your work can fit with National Geographic versus just straight out approaching them and saying, hey, I want to work with you guys because you're so amazing, you know? So patience and uh, building your portfolio step-by-step, starting small, developing from there, learning, really taking the approach of apprenticeship, approach you know when you're entering a new industry anywhere you're an apprentice you need to learn the how the industry works you need to understand you know where you fit in how you you know which steps to take and particularly this industry that i'm in the travel media industry the 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 travel and storytelling and creation uh, industry it's such a nebulous industry I sometimes compare it with, let's say, legal world. In the legal world, you you know you start working at a firm after you uh, pass the bar, and you sort of you know you have a path in front of you. Eventually, you become a partner. You know what to do, basically, right? Oh, to yeah. to get there. In this industry, it's not like that at all. It's very nebulous, and nobody's going to tell you what to do and what's the right next step. You know, you you sort of need to really surround yourself with many people who are in this industry, see what they're doing, understand how the industry works, and then carve a path for yourself, because that's just how it is. I don't know if that makes sense, this answer, but that's sort of how. Oh my gosh, no, it totally does. And I think, yeah, the dream of, I feel like a lot of people set a dream of, oh, I'm going to work with this XYZ, either publication or dream client or whatever, and shoot for that first and then get discouraged that it doesn't happen. Instead of being like, we have to kind of set our egos aside, be a learner, get in there and get really involved and clear on, on who we are as artists before jumping into the level like that, right? <laughs> exactly. And you know what's funny, Kristen? I'm telling you this now as if I l- really learned my lesson. And guess what? I am going through exact same thing right now with NFTs because I entered that space a couple of weeks ago as a high roller as like, okay, let's go. Yulia is in the NFT space. Buy these NFTs, millions of dollars, right? I'm excited to get to that too. I'm really excited to hear your perspective on that. Okay. But let's back, let's back up to this story. Cause you six months, you traveled the world. You were like, I'm going to be a travel photographer and journalist. What did, what were you able to do in the first six months? And like, what, what happened after that? Mm-hmm. Well, so in the first six months, I didn't publish any work because I thought I would, but actually I didn't because I was still trying to figure out even what is the industry and who are the people who are in it? And, you know, how do I go about contacting them? There was just so many questions. And the other thing that happened was that I really just needed to decompress after years of working in corporate. And I didn't give myself any break. I just really, when I quit my job, I immediately went into this. And I want to tell people that we need to be more kind to ourselves and to our bodies. And especially when we're going through a transition like that, really leave space to just decompress and to just relax, you know? And, and for me, that it, it's I sort of had, had to go through it. So that's what I did for most of those six months, honestly. I was just trying to, you know, decompress. But the other thing that happened in, on that trip is that I got a lot of images, from all these places. I was able to spend a lot of time in each of these places, like a month in each location, which is a good amount of time. I built up my database of images and of potential stories I could tell. So it also gave me uh, a springboard from which to spring, you know, because sitting here in Chicago, I probably wouldn't have had that much. I didn't have any images or any stories that I could potentially pitch. 
So it was really great sort of springboard for me. And then I came back here to Chicago and I was sort of flailing because most of my friends were still in corporate. They were making VPs. They were going on with their (laughs) work and their career. (laughs) Different path. You're like, okay, have fun. (laughs) And I'm like, oh my God, what did I do? (laughs) So I actually had a moment in clarity when I came back and I, I, and I sat down one night and I said, okay, who do you want to be a year from now? What are all the things that you want to have happened in your life a year from now? Because before that, I didn't really have a direction. I, I had this idea that I want to be a travel photographer and writer, but that is actually very vague. That's too vague. That doesn't give you any sort of exact uh, steps to follow. So I, I did that. I sat down and I literally wrote out 10 things that I will have in my life, uh, you know, in a year. And most of those things in that first, in that list came up, uh, came true in the first year, you know, which is pretty incredible. Do you remember what any of those things were that you wrote down in that moment of clarity? Yes. uh, I think one of them was that I wanted to work with Afar magazine, which I love stories that they publish and I've always wanted to work with them. The other one was to become a Lonely Planet contributor. The other one was to lead uh, tours in uh, in a country somewhere like photography tours or workshops so you know it gave me a very actionable and clear direction on what to do next basically and then I just started to work in each of these steps and each of these directions and little by little things started uh, happening for me that's amazing do you I mean did you have any kind of like I need to be overseas shooting this much of the year or anything like that that you set for yourself or did it just kind of change each season in that time no I didn't really think about that and I think it's it was more because you don't know what you don't know you know now if I sit down and do a list like that I would probably think more about okay where do I want to be you know how does my relationship between being based somewhere versus traveling work but at that point I was just so excited about this new lifestyle that I didn't even think about that balance I think that's what you're hinting at uh, because I actually learned very fast that it is very excruciating and difficult to to travel all the time you know which actually just before the pandemic was you know in 2019 I think my career just reached the this point where I was, I think I took 19 trips that year or something. So I was gone basically every two weeks I was gone and that was unsustainable as well. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I feel like in a lot of creative careers, it's like you work for so long to get the thing that you want. And then all of a sudden you have all of it and it's almost, it's too much. And then you're like, okay, where do I, how do I kind of balance the different parts of my life or what feels good for me. And I'm sure 2020 swung you back this way, right? To the not traveling as much. But yeah, I'm curious what you're thinking about with that balance now as you kind of go back out into the world. Like, do you know how much you want to travel? How much, you know, how much you want to be home? That kind of thing. Yes, I do. And in fact, I I realized what was messing up the formula for me. What was messing up the formula for me is that I am based in the States and a lot of what I want is on that side of the world. Yeah. So for me, that means a lot of transatlantic flights, really difficult time zone changes, uh, jet lag all the time, which puts a lot of strain on my body. Mm-hmm. So the way I'm solving it is I'm actually moving to Barcelona by the end of the year to yeah. be closer to that part of the world where a lot of my work is, where I can just do a two-hour flight and I'm in Istanbul. Right. How amazing does that sound? You know, two hours, you're in Istanbul. I just, I can't wait for that. So to answer your question, I want to be based somewhere where I can do a lot more shorter trips that don't put as much strain on my body because that's what really messed me up in 2019. I was doing so many transatlantic flights. It's, it's crazy. Oh, yeah. No, that makes a ton of sense, changing your base because, yeah, those – those flights get brutal. I, I used to be able to just take a Benadryl and, you know, sleep on the plane and come back. And now I'm like, ah, it doesn't feel so good anymore. <laughs> oh, no, it doesn't really doesn't. And I think as we as we get older, your body really starts telling you, okay, you can't keep up this pace. It's not and it's not natural, honestly, right for our bodies. We we, we weren't made to <laughs> this way to be able to skip so many time zones uh, so fast. So right. Totally. 
Well, one of the things that I really relate with you on is all the different kind of side projects, aspects of your business that you do, some of the really cool projects you've launched. I'm curious, like, what are some of the other things, other streams of revenue that you have going on right now that you're passionate about? Yeah, and actually, it's funny that you, you 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 put the question this way because when I quit corporate, the one thing I told myself was once I realized how hard it is to be on your own and not to have a salary that you are relying on, I told myself, Yulia, from now on, you should only work on projects that truly light you up and make you passionate because otherwise, why did you quit corporate? You could have just stayed there and you know work on whatever and and have a salary. And so this was really, this has been my guiding light for the past six years is whatever project I come across, if it lights me up inside, I go for it. And it doesn't necessarily have to be in, even in the travel space, you know, for example, three years ago or so, I was helping a friend of mine to launch a, a company in New York that was helping burned out people in corporate figure out what they can do next, what they should do next. You know, it had nothing to do with travel, but it, it, it was community. We were, you know, putting all these people together and it was powerful and beautiful. And I was helping him with marketing that project. So, and, and I, I loved being a part of it, you know? Mm-hmm. So, you know, when I see projects like that now coming across my desk, I will take them if they light me up like this. But specifically with the, uh, with the one that you mentioned. So I, in 2020, I launched an educational platform for women who want to uh, become published in the travel media space. It's called Travel Media Lab. And it happened by total accident. You know, if it wasn't for COVID, I don't think it would have happened for me because I just had no time to dedicate to it. But I started, uh, I, I did my first class and by accident, all women showed up. I, I wasn't planning to just, you know, talk to women, but somehow just women showed up. And in that first space, I realized the magic of putting like-minded women together where we can be really vulnerable with each other and really honest about some of the fears and things that hold us back. And I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. I want to do this, you know? <laughs> That is so cool. Okay. So travel media lab, you're helping, you're teaching women how to get their work published. Is there any other aspect to it as well? Is it, you know, online, online coaching? Are there other things y'all are doing too? Yes. So it's, it's a lot of tangible advice on, you know, how do you pitch somebody? Where do you start? Like all of those things, which publications, how does, how do you work with editors? But it's also a lot of coaching work and mindset work for sure, because like in any other space, this is what holds us back at the end of the day. It's not lack of knowledge as much as lack of belief in ourselves and what we are and aren't worthy to do. In this kind of space, you're having to put yourself out there so much. And I know you talk about pitching a lot and even in my own coaching, there's not a ton of pitching in the wedding world, but there's pitching in a lot of other kinds of photography and it is it's like the fear like public speaking is people do not want to pitch themselves. But I'm I'm curious, like the value of that for a photographer. Do you have any like tips or encouragement around pitching or what has that done for your business? The better you've gotten at pitching yourself. I think the most powerful thing you can recognize, and I think that's actually what stops many people from pitching or why they have the fear is that we equate that rejection that we might get with judgment on ourselves or our work. And we, we think that if we get a no, that somehow is a judgment on us or our work. And as the most powerful thing you can do is to realize that that's absolutely not the case. In 99% of the cases, when somebody says no to you, it has nothing to do with you or, or, or your work or the value of both, you know? Uh, what was really helpful for me to understand, specifically when it comes to pitching publications and pitching editors with my ideas, is when I learned how this process works. So when an editor, especially if it's a big publication like Condé Nast Traveler or National Geographic, when they get a pitch from somebody, they actually don't have the power to tell you right away, yes or no. They actually don't. What what happens is they bring that pitch along with 10 other or whatever to a meeting that happens usually once a month with an editor-in-chief where they discuss all those ideas in the room together. And usually editor-in-chief has the final say. 
And then they discuss, well, I have this idea uh, from, uh, uh, you know, Georgia, let's say. Oh, but we did a story about Georgia five months ago. So this is too soon. So let's, you know, not right now. Or, oh, we want to do this story, but we just ran out of budget and we should really allocate the rest of our budget to this story here. So there's all these discussions that are happening. Do you, you have absolutely no idea about. So when the editor comes back and says, no, you know, we're not going to take your story right now. You immediately say, think to yourself, oh my God, I'm horrible. You know, this idea was horrible where it actually has nothing to do with you and your idea. So the sooner you can realize that, the easier it will become for you to just take that and say, okay, great. And either send them another idea or take this idea and pitch it elsewhere because it has nothing to do with you or the value of your work. That's such a good point and such a good reminder is that there's so many other things at play in most of those decisions and understanding how editors work is so important to, to like being part of something like that in the future. And even I would extrapolate this beyond even, you know, publications, understanding how key decision makers work in any situation that you pitch is very important because that's, what's going to tell you, you know, how those decisions happen and Again, I think in many situations, it has nothing to do with you or the value of yourself and your work. A lot of times it's really about being in the right time in the right place as well, you know? Yeah. So I, I think that when I realized that, that really liberated me. And I honestly don't have that fear anymore. When I'm pitching people, you know, if they don't take it, fine. I'll, I'll, I'll take my idea elsewhere and I will keep pitching it until it finds a great home uh, somewhere else. I love that. And I love that mindset. And I love the idea of creating your own luck too. Cause you said it's kind of like being in the, having the right time, being in the right place, the right idea at the right time. But there are things that people do to start creating some of their own luck, right? I'm curious what some of those things are for you. Like, where do you try to make sure you are paying attention or where do you try to put your feet in the right places so that you're, you're in a primed place for lucky things to happen. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Well, I will tell you how, how it sort of happened to me. Uh, and I, I don't think it exists so much. Well, I, yeah, I guess it still does. I'm, I'm, t- I'm talking about Instagram specifically right now, because when I started in this career, I was very deliberate about following the brands that I wanted to work with, engaging with those brands, engaging with their content and their hashtags and learning who are the people behind the brands and how I get connected with them on Instagram and building relationships that way. And in fact, that's how one of my relationships with Afar magazine started. You know, I started uh, connecting with them on Instagram. And then next thing I know, they send me an email asking if they would, if they can profile me for one of their Instagrammer articles or, you know, that was back when Instagrammer was a thing, like a travel Instagrammer. Uh, in 2016 or something. And that's how our relationship started, you know, and then I pitched them and eventually started writing for them. So I would say you're absolutely right, right? It's it's being in places where people in your industry are already congregating and becoming part of that community, that space, putting yourself out there, participating, showing up for events, showing up for conferences, introducing yourself to people, you know? All of it is sort of the unsexy grunt work of building yourself and your portfolio and your reputation that takes a while. But that's, I'm finding that in many, many industries, this is how things happen. You know, unfortunately, there's no like quick, uh, quick thing. I know everyone's looking for the, the quick silver bullet or the one piece of advice that unlocks all the doors. (laughs) Right. (laughs) consistency right you know we'd all be in national geographic if there was one silver bullet so the consistency in the relationships and and you do that so well too just like authentically showing up for other people and other in spaces like that and i just want to just just quickly add that i also i would remind people not to underestimate the power of sharing your work out there because you never know who's watching. You honestly never know who's watching. There have been so many times where editors reached out to me. For example, I did a talk at Clubhouse last week when Clubhouse was all the thing, you yeah. know? <laughs> and I didn't even know that there was an editor from a really big publication in the room when I was speaking. And then I, I get an email from her saying, 
you know, editor of XYZ introducing myself. I, I looked at your portfolio, you know, maybe we can work together. I had no idea she's going to be there. So you just never know who is looking at your work. So the more of it you can share and the more of your philosophy, uh, what drives you, you can share, the, the, be- the better it will be. I'm very excited to be able to invite you to the sixth live walkthrough of Danger School. This is our coaching program that we have been running for a few years now, and it goes into marketing and finances and building a creative business based on your core values and growing in an authentic way. So we go through our four pillars of how to grow a creative business that is sustainable, enjoyable, filled with purpose, and has multiple streams of revenue so you feel financially safe, you feel like you get to explore a lot of things that come along with your creativity. This program is so much fun, and when we do a walkthrough like this, it involves live coaching too. So instead of just walking through the program by yourself, you get to join in with a group of people who are growing their business. It's like a mini mastermind. We go every couple weeks, we have a live call on Zoom where we get to do coaching around the topic for that week. We get to go over what the lesson was, apply it to your business. So you get the best of community, coaching, and this program that has helped so many creative business owners grow their business, their finances, their purpose, and we would love to have you join us. We are starting April 7th. This is 2022. We usually run this program about once a year. You can buy the online course at any time, but this specific coaching walkthrough only happens once a year, and we would love for you to be part of it. So uh, Danger School Plus is open for enrollment now, and I hope you jump in and join us for all the magic that we're going to create this year together. I think you bring up a good point about sharing your philosophy and what drives you and your values. Is that something you're fairly vocal about or try to connect with people about? Absolutely. 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 I mean, for for all of my travel work, I mean, that's the number one thing that I always talk about, because especially right now in, in, in the world that we're living, we need more people making connections with people who are not like them. <laughs> and that's what travel is. And that's the power of travel. And that's actually what gives me goosebumps to be working in this industry, because from the beginning, that's what I believe travel is. And that's what I believe the power of travel is. And so, yeah, I'm pretty vocal about it in, in many spaces that I show up in. So, I love that. I love that. I think I feel like a lot of newer artists really fear to fear speaking out about things that they really care about. And I think it's so powerful when you can vocalize what matters to you and why you do what you do. Because I think that's that's where we create that magical space where beautiful art and stories are made is when is when we really connect on a human level with other people. For sure, for sure. But I also can relate to, because I don't know if I would be able to articulate it that well six years ago when you talked to me, you know, a lot of it also comes from doing and experiencing and figuring your work out, figuring yourself out. So I don't want I don't want people to also feel like if I can't put a nice mission statement together right away, then there is something wrong with me because really a lot of it comes from doing the work and following the scrums of understanding about yourself. You know, now, six years later, I can say this is who I am and this is what I stand for. But maybe at the beginning, I wouldn't be able to. So don't be discouraged if you feel this way. (laughs) That's a great point. And to follow that up, do you have any tips for maybe someone who's like, I don't know what I'm about yet. I don't even know who I am as an artist what should they do to start kind of learning those things about themselves? Yeah, I think Liz Gilbert has this book, Big Magic. I recommend it to anyone. (laughs) I saw her speak a couple of times and she's just an incredible human. And she talks, I think in that book, she talks about the pressure that we put on ourselves when we try to figure out what, what our big passion is. And that's really daunting. And instead, following, again, those breadcrumbs of curiosity, 
Mm-hmm. And what is what are you curious about today? What do you want to investigate a little bit more? And and follow that. And, and eventually some of these breadcrumbs will, will lead you to a space where you're like, oh, I'm really excited about this. I want more of this, you know? And the other thing that I would say, when I was uh, helping out with that project that I mentioned, where, you know, we helped people who were burnout in corporate to figure out what should their next step be. We had this exercise again, because it's so daunting for people to really like, oh, I'm passionate about travel. So I want to be a travel photographer or something. Ask yourself these two questions. How do I want to grow today? And how do I want to give today? And let those be your two guiding lights each time when you're trying to figure this out. And eventually, again, these will lead you to a certain place where you can be more excited about what you're doing. That makes sense. That's beautiful. I love those questions. How do you want to grow today? What do you, how do you want to give today? I think we put so much pressure on ourselves too to know the next five years down the path or the next 10 years down the path and be like, well, if I don't know that, then I should just quit now, right? Instead of just taking that one step at a time. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Well, your work has taken you all over the world to so many cool places. Do you have a favorite place that you've been or stories from your travels or a place you love going back to over and over? Well, I am very partial to Jordan in the Middle East. (laughs) Jordan, yeah? Yes, we were talking about this before we started recording. And particularly, I've, you know, sometimes you find places that keep calling you back again and again. And for me, that place is the desert of Wadiram in the south of Jordan. Mm. It's a desert, but it's a desert unlike any other I've seen before because it has mountains, these granite mountains in it. Oh my gosh. And actually a lot of people around the world have seen it because that desert has become the place, the place to shoot all the otherworldly movies. So the Martian was shot there. Star Wars, the latest one was shot there. The Dune was shot there. Okay. So yeah. all these lan- landscapes that you see with the red sands and those, that's, that's Wadiram in Jordan. Mm-hmm. And I just, every time I set foot there, I just feel like I'm home in the most undescribable sense of the world because I'm not from there. But I, I have friends in the community that lives there, which is a Bedouin, Bedouin community. And I just love that place so much. I've been there maybe 20 times now. That's how much I love it. And I'm coming back there in a few few weeks, actually. So I'm very excited. That's amazing. You're leading a trip. Can you tell us about your, your travel trips that you lead? Because you're leading one to Jordan really soon. And I'm like trying to sneak my way onto it because I really want to go. <laughs> yes. Uh, yes, thank you for asking that. Yes, I started those trips in 2018. And really, it again, it was an accident, sort of, because I went to Jordan on assignment as, as my first trip there. And I loved it immediately. I loved the country, the food, the culture, the people. And when I came home and I started writing about it and, you know, talking about it on Instagram, I have gotten so many messages from people asking me, isn't it war there? Isn't it, is it safe to travel there? How were you able to go there as a woman? So people had so many misconceptions and so much misunderstanding that I was honestly shocked because Jordan is amazing and, and beautiful country. And I, I, I realized that I can write about it all day long, but at the end of the day, what's going to really impact people is when I show them, yeah. you know? And, and show them the experience that I go through. So that's how it started, really. And, you know, my groups are really small. We have five to six people max. I, I can't lead big groups because I'm really an introvert. So, you know, five to six is sort of my sweet spot. And these trips are just magical. I just show them the country, the way I've come to experience it and love it. And now I have a lot of connections there and friends and people. And I think that's what makes trips magical when you can connect with someone from there you know, and yeah, I just, I love that part of my uh, work as well. I I love bringing people there and I'm always very happy when I get to do that. So I love that. And I love that you've been able to build relationships over the times that you've gone back. How does that work for you when you're at your on assignment? You're like, I want to meet people. I want to become part of this. You know, I want to dive into the community. Is it, does it come from documenting 
people for your stories or how do you kind of authentically start those relationships as you're traveling? Yeah, I think I would say it's it's several different ways. It's sort of fluid, you know, for example, I'm interviewing somebody for a story I'm doing and, and we just connect so well and I love their work. So then we stay in touch and eventually we become friends or I'm, I'm eating at a restaurant. And again, I love what they're doing and, you know, connect to them. So for me, all this comes and, and why I feel so strongly about doing this work, the travel storytelling work, because this work actually puts me in touch with people all over the world who are so passionate about what they do. And that is a gift to me to see that and to document that and to tell these stories because that makes me excited. And it sort of rubs off on me. Like when I meet people, you know, in Turkey who are resurrecting a 16th century art that was lost through the centuries and now they're bringing it back and they're so passionate about it and they're telling you all about it. That rubs off on me, that excitement, you know, and then I'm so excited to tell that story to the world. And this is really a gift, I think, you know, to, to be able to do that. So I don't know. I think, did that answer your question? I- yeah, it definitely did. It definitely did. I know. And when, when I started doing photography, I was like, this career puts me in places I never would have been in before. That is such a gift. I think yeah. for me, at least, sometimes I can forget that and the magic rubs off a little bit. Yes, for sure. Has that happened to you? Have you ever had a moment where you're like, I need to just remember how amazing this life is that I've built or, you know, I don't know, do you ever kind of lose the, lose the forest through the trees? Yes, for sure. I mean, we all have those moments, right? We're human. And I hope I didn't romanticize this uh, a lot in this conversation because it's not like it's the most easiest job in the world. Again, there, there are like, when you're your own boss, your own person, your own earner, when there is no salary that comes in every two weeks from a corporation, I mean, it is not easy to, to do this, you know? And it's also not easy to give yourself direction and say, okay, what should I be working on this year? What are the important projects I need to do? There is no boss to tell you that, right? You have to sort of figure this out yourself. Even simple things as, you know, today's Monday. So it's 8 a.m. on a Monday. I need to work. <laughs> Right. <laughs> for some people, it might be hard to sit down and work at eight in the morning on a Monday if you're working for yourself, you know. So I, I hope I, I don't romanticize this because I don't want to romanticize this. This is uh, a path that worked out for me and is very well suited for me because I can give myself that direction. I can set that vision for myself. And I'm really excited to work on these projects. But by, no, by all means, it's not it's not easy. Yeah, yeah, totally. I feel like that's a good segue into talking about how you encourage and coach other artists into having multiple income streams. And you kind of alluded to this earlier that you're like, I only want to take projects I'm really excited about. Is that a part of why the multiple income streams are important? It gives you like, tell me about that passion for you. Why you think that's so important for people? Exactly. And and that's actually exactly what I teach and what I always talk about. Uh, and that's not, you know, there is no right or wrong way to do this, I think. And if somebody tells you that there is right or wrong way, just run from them, because I think there are just so many different paths in life and so many different ways to accomplish something, you know. But I know many, uh, for example, travel journalists and writers who that's all they do. But that also means they're pitching nonstop. And they're writing a lot of articles that I wouldn't want to write, for example. Yeah. You know? and, and that's okay. That's how they've chosen to approach this. But for me specifically, I told myself, I will only want to tell stories I'm passionate about. But that means I'm not pitching as many stories and I'm not writing, you know, those top 10 be- beaches lists, for example, or listicles. Because I'm just, it doesn't draw me, you know. So that means that I need to figure out, okay, what else can I do? to continue telling the stories I want to tell, but also supplement, you know, my life with, with other things. So, and I've tried many things over the years, you know, lots of trial and error of different things. And what I'm finding is that, and again, my guiding light is it's something that I'm passionate about, right? So that's how I, 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 I look at it. And teaching, for example, I learned that I'm so passionate about teaching and 
turns out I'm pretty good at it and people gravitate towards me and I have something to say. So now that's becoming, uh, you know, a big part of my, my life and my day. Doing speaker workshops and engagements like this around the world, helping out uh, somebody with their marketing, for example, because that's also a way to tell a story about something you're excited about, whether it's a project or a service. Stock photography, although stock, you know, that can be a whole a whole conversation because stock really doesn't pay that well unless you sort of specialize in something very unique and very special that no one else can replicate then it can be a sizable part of your uh, income stream nfts now is this new thing on the block that i'm really excited about but just really i think again it's it's understanding what makes most sense for you and your specific situation if you are someone who has a mortgage and has certain expenses each month that you need to cover, then maybe putting all your eggs into pitching and publishing stories basket is not going to work because especially at the beginning, it's going to be really difficult to cobble that together, you know? And by the way, articles don't pay that well. It's, it's not a very lucrative industry to be in. I'm, I'm in it for the passion because I love it, not because it makes a lot of money, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what makes sense for you? So how do you then supplement that with something else that perhaps is easy for you, is not stressful for you while you sort of build out the side projects that you work on? Someone else might say, no, you have to go all in and you have to write and pitch and just do that full time and, you know, do only that, focus only on that. So there's many ways into it. I think it all depends on your particular situation. I agree. And I think that's true for, for most things in creative industries is everyone has different risk tolerance and different things back home they need to pay for and, you know, building it around what feels comfortable for you and also lets you make your best work. Like, I'm also an introvert and I'm like, I will never be able to shoot 50 weddings a year. It's never something I will be able to do, but mm-hmm. it works for some people, you know? So just deciding what kind of works for, for you and your personality and in your family situation. I think that's so important. Yeah, definitely. I, I, I think what you said about risk tolerance is really important because I am, I have very, very high tolerance to risk, meaning I take a lot of risks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. What's something that like, what's a, what's a favorite risk or something that you did? You're like, I can't believe I did that. (laughs) Well, actually just quitting my job and and leaving all of that behind and really jumping straight into this, you know, because again, like for, for, for someone like me, who's an immigrant, my family, they did not understand it and they still don't understand it. To be honest, they think I'm crazy. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> do you they um, have they come around at all we're like that's really cool or are they just like we don't know <laughs> no, they're proud of me for sure like when I you know when I lead a workshop somewhere or where my latest article is published they're of course they're proud but I think it's still like oh I wish you stayed in corporate <laughs> so funny yeah again yeah. different risk tolerances right mm-hmm. For sure. Well, you brought up NFTs. I'm excited to jump into this because I know it's a, it's a little bit of a newfound passion for you. And I am just scratching the surface of this world. So I'm excited to hear what you've been discovering. But maybe if, if people don't know, can you explain what an NFT is? And why do you think it's important that photographers know what they are? Yes. So it's very top of mind for me. I got into the space about six weeks ago and I'm learning very fast. It feels like I'm drinking from a fire hose right now because there's just a lot of it there. Uh, but NFTs uh, stand for non-fungible tokens. Don't Which ask is, me what that is. I know. It just sounds like I, that doesn't make any sense to me. <laughs> well, it's basically a token that cannot be replicated because that's what non-fungible means it's not it cannot be replicated it's unique and basically think of it as a record of ownership for a digital file because that's what it really is it's a record of ownership for a digital file that lives on the blockchain technology don't ask me about blockchain (laughs) i won't (laughs) 
there's a lot of resources on the web to research exactly how blockchain works, and I'm not a specialist in it. But I just I understand that the blockchain technology enables us now to have a very clear, unique record of ownership for any single piece of digital file that we want to put out there into the web, right? And in the NFT world, that can mean anything from a JPEG digital file of uh, an image, a video, a sound, a, a music video, a spoken word file. You know, I think the up, the up, there are so many different applications to it. And the way I got into the space is that a fellow female travel photographer posted on Instagram how NFT space is overwhelmingly male and overwhelmingly white male, actually, mm-hmm. and very bro-ish. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, my God. I heard about NFTs, but I was like, oh, I don't know if it's for me. I have no idea what this is. I don't see myself in that space. So let's just ignore it. But when she posted that, I was like, wait a minute. Let me look into that. Because she was also saying how there's a lot of money being trading hands right now. And most of that money right now is in the white male category. So I was like, wait a minute. That's not right. Like, we need more women in, in that, you know in participating in that so that's how my entrance into it happened and trust me I was exactly like most of the people who are messaging me right now like what that's how I was when I entered the space I'm like I have no idea what this is the learning curve is really steep but it's also very fast meaning by day three in the space you're going to be like okay I'm starting to get a hang of it you know we can do we, we can do harder things than figure out NFTs. But what really got me excited is that as soon as I understood how the space works, I saw the potential that it can have for creative people. It's a potential to share our work with a very new audience, with a different audience, who is willing to pay some serious money for our work. And that is very exciting to me. That is extremely exciting to me. You know, I'm sure like you can relate and many photographers in the room can relate where, you know, posting an image on Instagram and hoping that it doesn't get stolen and reposted without credit is basically all we've been able to do with with our creative work for the past, you know, how many years. And images don't pay that well unless, again, you're shooting a commercial campaign for a big brand or something, you know. But in this space, there is the subset of people who appreciate art and who want to pay you for your art and who want to support you. And that just feels so incredible to me. I haven't seen that in a while. So I got very excited. (laughs) I love that. And I love that because I think like, you know, so living in Nashville, before I was in the photography world, I was in the music world. Mm. When you're a musician in a place like Nashville, no one cares. Mm. And then you No one cares that you're a musician. Everyone's a musician. And then you go to a small town and you play something, you sing something and people are like, this is the best thing I've ever heard. And it kind of feels like that when you're explaining NFTs, it's like you an image on Instagram. It's all photographers. No one cares. It's pretty. They like it. It's great, whatever. But if you go into this space where people aren't artists and they appreciate art, and are willing to pay for it. It's like that small town of, you know, you're moving out of Nashville into, I don't know. That's exactly it. It's it's an opportunity to put your art and your work in front of people who have, they otherwise would never see your work. Honestly, like, like if I think about my audiences on Instagram or even people who read the travel magazines where I publish my work, these are not the NFT collectors. These are two different audiences, you know. So So why am I not participating in that space? Why am I not putting my work in front of them? They are paying money. They're paying some serious uh, cryptocurrency to creators right now. Why am I not one of them? You know, so that was my motivation. But also, you know, when I got into the space, I really just saw so many interesting applications of my work. And I even started thinking of my work in new ways. And it was so exciting to share my work. I haven't been this excited to, to do, you know, to share my work in, in years. And yeah, there's just so, it's a very new space. So right now we are the ones, the people in that space right now, they're giving direction to it. They're shaping it. They're coming up with ways to use this space that down the road will be, you know, standard practice, let's say. But that's why for me, it's also exciting to be there because like we can set the direction of what NFT photography looks like. 
which is pretty exciting. I love that. So in practical terms, does it look like a virtual gallery of your NFTs that people can buy or how does it, how could you, how do you communicate it to someone who hasn't been on an NFT platform, what that process looks like? So there are several marketplaces basically where you go into and you can buy or sell NFTs. And in practical terms, you sign up for one of these platforms and you start building your collection of NFTs that perhaps tells a specific story, you know, and people can have multiple collections or one collection. But I think the most important thing that I've learned in this space is that, again, it all comes down to building relationships with people and putting your work and yourself in front of people and showing up and sharing your work. Because just by you putting a collection into one of these marketplaces, chances are nothing is going to happen. Because the place is also very crowded. There's a lot of people on it now. It's not like there's 10 people there. There's thousands and thousands of people on the platform. So the most important thing is to start showing up in communities, start introducing yourself, start sharing your work with other people who might be interested in collecting it. It's again, that grunt work that we talked about earlier, which I'm learning now. That's why I was laughing earlier that I told you about my advice of starting in this, you know, in, in the travel media space. And now I'm like, I totally didn't follow my advice entering NFTs because I showed up there and I'm like, hey, Yulia is here now by my work. And then there was crickets because nobody knew me in the space and I wasn't active in the space, you know, not until I started making connections, showing up, uh, talking to people, sharing my work, supporting other people's work, by the way. That's now I'm starting to see some movement and some collectors are starting to follow me. And, you know, hopefully down the road, they will be interested in buying my work. So the advice is the same everywhere. You start from the ground up, you start building relationships, showing up, sharing your work. And that's how stuff happens, you know. I love that. And I think it's good to remember that across platforms and across careers, that it's it's the same advice and you have to kind of work in it and not just be like, well, my NFT is up now, you know, where's my million dollars I was supposed to be making. Exactly. Unless, unless you're Beeple, by the way, unless you're Beeple, which is that artist that last year sold his NFT at Sotheby's, I believe for $69 million. Oh my gosh. And that's what actually, that was like a, this, flashpoints where a lot of people were like oh wait a minute like okay wait a minute I want a piece of that pie exactly (laughs) but not all of us are people so we have to sort of (laughs) (laughs) have you sold an nft yet no I haven't and that's exactly why you know I'm saying that I, I I by the way I did it the wrong way I have an episode out now which really uh, outlines the whole process of entering the NFT space uh, in case somebody is interested, but I did it the wrong way. I minted my, minted, created my first collection, day one of being in that space before I had any connections, any relationships, you know, and no, nobody bought it because nobody knew about it. Nobody saw it. Now I'm learning what's the right way to do it because the right way to do it is you build connections first, you build relationships Then you announce, I have a collection coming out in two weeks. Then you do a launch party for your collection, for example. Then you explain to people what it's all about, right? So you do it the proper way. I didn't do it the proper way. I just had a newbie mistake, uh, which is okay. But I do see people around me in the NFT space, photographers just like me, not worse than me, but not better than me. Meaning, you know, the quality of our work is, is, is good for all of our work. And they're making pretty good sales with their work Uh, and some are even making pretty amazing sales and paying off debts and setting up a rainy day fund like so it's not some far-fetched dream is what I'm saying I am in the rooms in Twitter every day showing up and you know sharing my work and and meeting people where I see sales happen in front of my eyes because collectors are also there they see something they like, they buy it like this. And three minutes later, you just sold a piece for $6,000 of a JPEG. Oh you just God. sold your JPEG for $6,000. So 
So it's uh, NFT rooms on Twitter or Reddit or things like that that you're finding. Twitter. Mm -hmm. Twitter is where the community is. Uh, it's not on Instagram, so don't even wait. You know, waste your time there. It's on Twitter and Discord, which is this whole other thing. I, I'm I'm not in Discord because it's just too much for me. But Twitter is enough. Yeah, if you start showing up in Twitter in NFT spaces, which are these discussion rooms mm -hmm. on Twitter, that's where I see a lot of this happening in front of my eyes, which is pretty exciting, you know? I love that. I love hearing that and that people are having a lot of success with it. Um, how did you decide what, uh, which of your artwork, which of your photos you wanted to make into NFTs? Yeah, so that's part of why uh, this was very exciting to me because I saw applications of my editorial work in this new way in the space, you know, for example, I have this story about this Bedouin community that I mentioned earlier in Jordan. It's a story published in National Geographic two years ago in their print magazine. So chances are nobody's looking at it right now because, you know, that print magazine was out uh, in, in the summer of 2019 and that's it. It's gone. Who is looking at it now? Nobody is, right? So now I have a chance of a new audience looking at that work in a completely new way. And so I'm going to mint, uh, you know, this, this photo story that I did about this community with proceeds going to support that community in that. Jordan, which is pretty exciting. And, you know, I just see so many applications of my work now in this, in this way that, that really excite me a lot. So <laughs> it's great. Yeah. Well, and we'll have to link to your marketplace for some of these two in the show notes so that people can take a look at it and see kind of what it looks like. Yeah, 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 yeah. Please do. And, you know, there are actually incredible women photographers that are in this space. And, and that's, that was another like thing that I really was excited about is to support other women photographers. I actually collected a piece myself. So I haven't sold anything yet, but I already collected one because I, I wanted to support that is, I'm very passionate about that. Like, I want to see more women in that space. I want them to succeed there. And, you know, so yes, please do. <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. Well, what kind of dreams do you have right now that you'd like to see happen in the next few years? What are you imagining for yourself and your growth over the next little bit of time? I want to uh, do more work with uh, speaking speaking internationally, sharing my story and my philosophy with, with more people around the world. I want to get into the tech, uh, TEDx speaker community. That's been one of my dreams for a while now. And just want to share, share my story, share my philosophy with, with more people. You know, I'm very passionate about, turns out, I'm very passionate about sharing and inspiring people. And yes, I want to continue doing that more and more in the future to come. So Amazing. I love that dream. You'll have to let me know when it happens so I can get a seat in the auditorium. <laughs> Sounds good. Sounds good. But you know what? Even if it doesn't happen, I am very happy. I am so happy with the work that I do. I'm just so grateful that I get to do it. That uh, yes, I have dreams, I have aspirations, but I'm also very grateful for every single day um, that I get to do this, you know? So. <laughs> That's amazing. That's amazing. And it's a good reminder. I, I always think like you have to appreciate each step in the journey and not just always be looking for the next goal because we're like right in the magic, right where we are and not always in the future, which is something I, I work on myself. Me too. Me too. <laughs> well, is there anything that you'd like to share or promote today that you are really excited about ways people can connect with you? Well, if, if people are interested in coming to Jordan with me, they can check out our, our trips. Uh, it's at nomadandjewels.com. And if you're interested in uh, doing more work in the travel media space, check out travelmedialab.com. We have a podcast. Uh, we do workshops, classes. We have a membership as well. Uh, so lots of things going on there. And we have brilliant, brilliant members in our community, just the best people. Uh, so if that's something you're interested in, come check us out and yeah, get into NFTs. Just, just, just dip your toes. Just see what that space is all about. I'm sure you will be inspired by it as well. You know, it's not all bros. 
<laughs> Although it can feel like that in some it's projects, <laughs> you know, but I, that's why I think we need more women because women approach the space in such a different way and in such an interesting way. So if you're listening to this, check it out and, and see if it's right for you. I love that. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. And we'll link all of those things in the show notes later. And just excited to keep seeing where your adventures, where your work takes you. Thanks for being part of this. Thank you so much, Kristen. I had so much fun talking to you. Appreciate it. This episode was produced and edited by the lovely Jen Madigan Creative. Music for this episode was written and recorded by Jamie Lono and Shammy D. Thanks for being part of our Dangerous Creatives podcast community, and we'll see you again next time.